Hi everybody, welcome back to another edition of Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Seen and Heard podcast. As always, I'm Aaron Meekle, Product and Development Manager, and I'll be uh, host and asking a few questions and, and leading the discussion today. We're going to talk about um, a major bit of research that Beef and Lamb New Zealand have just re- released, a, a major report. There's actually The full report is 136 pages, so if you're looking for some Christmas reading, uh, there you go. Um, it's called Shaping the Future of New Zealand's Red Meat Sector. And to discuss that, I'm joined by Hugh Good, Global Market Intelligence and Research Manager at Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Um, Hugh, we're going to get into it. So we're not going to go through page by page at 136 pages, but um, what's your role? What do you do day to day at Beef and Lamb New Zealand? So, yeah, I um, look after consumer research, consumer insight, um, and the market de- development team at Beef and Lamb. Okay. And how did you end up in working for us? What did you do? So then? prior to that, I was I worked for 13 years in, um, in market research agencies mm-hmm. uh, in Auckland and in London. I came back a year ago from London fleeing Brexit, and, <laughs> uh, and here I am. Uh, haven't worked in the primary sector before, but, um, but really enjoying it. And there's lots of kind of crossover general consumer research and consumer mm-hmm. insight from, from what I've done previously. Awesome. Well, a good plug because I just did a um, podcast yesterday on Brexit with Esther Guy Meekin, our um, manager for international trade. So um, have a listen to that one if you want to know what Hugh was talking about there and some of the concerns. But look, Hugh, um, what have you done here? This shaping the future of New Zealand's red meat sector. I'm going to talk a wee bit. We've done several reports over the last couple of years, but mm. what's this one specifically about. So, so this one was around. It was around trying to come up with a shared lens and a kind of shared starting point for, for us, but also for for government processes um, and and other interested bodies, science, to to work out where we are at the moment and what should be, what should be our focus and our our um, the things that we should mm-hmm. be both worrying about yep. or, or or trying to take advantage. For of in the future. Yeah. So it's a major bit of consumer research. Yeah, and, and it, it certainly is consumer research and there's some consumer trends, but I, but we quite deliberately wanted to go broader than that. Mm. So the inputs, so the, we, we went broad initially and gathered demographic information, sort of business mm. trends. We've spoke to experts um, across not just in our, expert, in our key expert markets, but certainly within them, but more broadly, who had sort of expertise in the sector or working on things that were relevant, like we talked to someone who was an expert in cell-based meat culture, Mm -hmm. we talked to um, academics at um, at universities in in Netherlands who are are looking into sustainable and sustainable production and that sort of thing. So it's certainly got consumer insight in it, but it's deliberately very broad to try Mm -hmm. and... Because consumers can't always tell you what's important, but... uh, but but it's but they certainly an important component of it. So was it a is this just a beef and lamb New Zealand initiative or a central government involved meat industry association processes? What's well, the well, team here? Yeah, so I'll tell you a little bit about um, how how it came about. Mm-hmm. So certainly it's driven by beef and lamb New Zealand, um, and the initial engagement was between us and, and Kantar, who uh, who are who are our research agency that we've mm-hmm. chosen. Um, they were based out of Singapore, and I think that's been really helpful because they've got a very global point of view. Um, and also cover Asia very well as well, and mm-hmm. a lot of lot of the very relevant trends that will affect us as an export business are coming out of Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, that and they and that engagement was again I was saying going broad, so gathering all the trends together, us defining between us and them what was most useful. We also engaged some of the processes at that stage as mm-hmm. well. Um, 
so ANSCO, Silver Firm Farms, Greenlee all fed into and, and had direct contact with um, with Kantar at that stage, again, just, just to make sure that we were working on their priorities. And they helped us define some of the markets that we were going to gather additional insight from. So there was some primary research that we did, so talking with consumers in some of these markets. They turned them, them um, streets, streetscapers or futurescapers, who are the people mm. who are in, in, in those markets who are quite in touch with what's going on trend-wise and also, um, and, and also the experts that we talked to. So that was, that was the initial stage. Um, after we sort of generated a trends of around, around 55 relevant trends and we narrowed mm-hmm. that down um, and then went through seven kind of key macro trends uh, at workshops, uh, in, at a workshop in, in Wellington and that was when we involved processes, government, scientists, um, farmers. Uh, we had six farmer representatives attended that session. That was held over two days and that was narrowing narrowing down what's relevant, um, look, reviewing some of those key macro trends, and that's helped generate the recommendations mm-hmm. as to what we should do about that. Okay. So we're going to get into that, some, get into that in some detail. I just want to talk about, you, you know, you've talked in other industries. I think you said yeah. this is the first time you've worked in the primary yep. industries. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on how, you know, the likes of Beef and Lamb New Zealand, the red meat sector, have, have how have they operated in the past, you know, this view of, the consumer first, understanding mm. these macro trends, not just consumers but markets and all the things that are happening, even the things that the consumers themselves yep. may not understand. I mean, I've worked in the extension side where it's been very much productivity based, we're on yep. focused. Yeah, yeah. How do you, I mean, this mm. is a big bit of, how have, we, how have we operated overall in terms of actually understanding the people who buy? Yeah, well, product? it's funny, I probably came at a time where there's been a lot of change. Mm-hmm. So I came just as Shakespeare Nature. Mm-hmm. was launching and launched in, in uh, March and I supported on that. So I think I didn't have a very clear view of mm. pre-Taste Pure Nature because I was there when that was happening. Um, I think certainly with some of the, because I used to work in my previous role with some big FMCG companies, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Ferrero. F- FMCG? Fast-moving consumer goods okay. companies. So, um, well, yeah. so they were very market-focused. Mm-hmm. They would do research hell out of everything they had very a real brand focus how and and kind of right across the piece in terms of how what is it looking like for people shopping what what is the what is the brand doing um and 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 quite quite focused on that and Mm -hmm. i think legacy in the in the primary sector and and certainly in for 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 meat for red meat it's it probably hasn't evolved as quickly as some of those consumer packaged Mm goods Um, brands, you know, for, I, I, I think this time in in uh, in the UK, all especially companies like Ferrero go crazy because they're thinking about all of their Christmas mm-hmm. packaging and changing it and their messaging, and then that rolls over into Easter. Whereas I think um, you know that we haven't had a kind of legacy of that mm-hmm. in our sector, but I think you know all the, all the research that that I've been across, and and certainly in my previous time in an agency, people care a lot about brands. People focus on brands, make a lot of decisions, and there's a lot of weight placed on them. So so I think it's really important and good that we are developing a consumer-facing mm. brand and taste pure nature. Um, I wouldn't say we're necessarily playing catch-up because I think across the red meat sector, you know, the, the, there hasn't been particularly strong brands. Um, it, it's, just, it's just something that is it's probably a tradition thing, but I think it's as... You know the true Aussies and 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 Beer and and other brands 
are, you know, are playing for consumers' attention. Mm-hmm. And and I think these, certain, are, these are other red meat brands. Other red meat yeah. brands, and certainly the kind of um, the process of brands mm-hmm. um, are, are beginning to become, you know, certain certainly domestically, a way to, that consumers are navigating and making decisions within um, retail environments. It's really important that you know we make sure that our product is is fairly branded and it ties back to the farm you want to make sure all the good work that you're doing on the farm is is mm-hmm. captured and reflected to consumers when they're making decisions so i think it's you know it's i think you mentioned earlier around all the the the, the productivity mm-hmm. and efficiency on farm you know i think making sure that that's recognized at the other end is part of what we're trying to do with the with the taste mm-hmm. pure nature and the branding there yeah so yeah. talking branding and yeah. taste pure nature so um Year or two back, mm. just as you were coming on, Taste Pure Nature was rolled out. Yeah, uh, where does this sit? I mean, if you drew a Venn diagram with a whiteboard in front, of them, what's the overlap <laughs> between this bit of work and Taste Pure Nature? Because they seem they are. Uh, I mean, there's it, it's not it's not kind of um, certainly the elements that are relevant to mm-hmm. it. So I think our premium narratives. One of the one of the trends is talking about. Um, uh, owning our, pre- our owning new premium narratives, and mm-hmm. partly Taste Pure Nature is about that. Um, and also, I think this has some certainly has a lot of relevance to that. So, Taste Pure Nature is a really good starting point. Um, but how does that evolve, mm. and what is what is premium going to look like in a few years, and, and what what's what's driving that? So, I think certainly there's overlap in that. Um, also, reframing sustainability. Do we mm. have to have a sustainability narrative and more overt? in Taste Pure Nature. I mean, it's hinted at, mm. and it's got all the scenery and the assets about it. Suggests that sort of it's natural, sustainable farming system, but do we need to be more overt about it? Do we need to have mm. standards that sit behind that? So, so yeah, it, it's it's broader than Taste Pure Nature, okay. but I think certainly there are things that, that feed into it. And also, I mean, the final thing I would say is that it, we do use... Um, Taste Pure Nature is one of the examples of positive collaboration across mm-hmm. the sector. You know, um, I think... The final point, tying it all together, is that we need to get better at collaboration because we're a small country. We do punch above our weight, but we're only a small part of of international supply. Um, and there's, if you know, to succeed and to take advantage of some of these things which need a lot of capital and people to work together, um, yeah, we need to be better at collaborating and have systems that help us collaborate as a sector. Yeah. Given that, mm. uh, this is talking about some filling in some of the gaps and, and, and the overlap, mm. there wasn't any risk of it being a little bit cut before horse that we've done the brand, Taste for Your Nature, before you've done this bit of work? Uh, potentially, I mean, uh, yeah, well, I think I think the fundamentals of Taste for Your Nature aren't rocked by this. They're not, yeah. We're not going, we need to reset what we've done. But I certainly think it gives direction in terms of how it needs to evolve mm-hmm. um, okay. and some directions there. So, so you know, I, I think that's a, yeah, the, the fundamentals capture all of these, yeah. the things that people value. So what you found here actually, it, yeah, it hasn't undermined taste for your nature, it's that bit of no, work is no. still valuable. I think it'd be a trouble if it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of where I was leading to and nervously wondering what your answer was going to be. Okay. All right, so look, the purpose of this report is, um, I just had a look, I was reading before, understanding the potential disruption that could occur in future if demand for red meat drops or shifts to alternative proteins. So that's sort of the the why you did this. Um, And you talked a wee bit more about it, but any more on on how you went about it in terms of... Yeah, I mean, and and I would say it's, it's, I think 
you pulled out some trends like shift alternative proteins or, or other things. I think it was, again, it was deliberately very broad. So mm-hmm. I think we didn't know necessarily what we we're going to find when we came out. We, we, we briefed in our agency, Kantar, and said, look, this is what we want to generally see what the future of our sector mm-hmm. looks like. But they went very broad and... Um, and, and we're looking at, I think, okay, demographic changes, the mm-hmm. aging population, what does that mean for us? Um, okay, what is, uh, growth, well, volatility of energy prices, mm-hmm. what does that mm-hmm. mean, mean for our sector? Um, you know, uh, cl- climate impacts, what does that mean? Um, uh, rise in single households, what does mm-hmm. that mean? So, so lots of, you know, they don't immediately seem like they directly link, mm-hmm. but I think they interact and combine and 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 we'll have we'll have kind of change we'll have we'll change change demand change what's preferred um and and uh and and the sort of things that we need to think about as a sector um yeah what i like actually going through it mm-hmm. not being familiar with this thing is that you talk about the seven emerging or macro trends that yeah. aggregated but then for each of those there was priority areas for action which we're going to talk a bit about yep. as as we go through mm-hmm. um so, uh, what did you find? What were those seven? <laughs> we, we, the seven of them, we're not going to go into each of them. And look, yeah. I can, um, we'll put the link in the blurb for this podcast. I've mentioned the full report's 136 pages. <laughs> that was just a bit of a, yeah. a bit of trip. There's a summary of 28 pages, which is actually pretty light and easy reading with all of these. But the, um, yeah. the seven emerging trends, what was sort of the So, the well, I'll talk about the trends, and then we'll talk mm-hmm. about the recommendation areas. Yep. So... Um, well, let's, let's, I've, got the, I've got the report in front of me, so I'll, I'll touch on them. So the first one we've, we've termed premium diversified. So there's an explosion in terms of what premium means to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, so there's, there's kind of, the examples I like are, the, are the, the, the fact that you can now get a water sommelier to, to, to take you through different types of water. <laughs> and, uh, and it has... Well, it, the differentiate based on pH and the amount of dissolved mm-hmm. solids, and you can buy water that's been hacked off an iceberg in the Mid Atlantic if you if you so choose. So, um, and this is not there's premium versions of everything, mm-hmm. but also I mean it, it, I think it offers opportunity for us because it's, we're not all trying to say we're not sort of you know castigating ourselves for not creating a grain fed product mm-hmm. that might have been a kind of be all and end all order for for beef eating experiences. Yep. There is premium in in other ways, and I think part of it is making making sure that we can tell our narrative. And I'm, I'm jumping ahead to some of the recommendations, mm-hmm. but but this means that there's opportunities to create new kinds of premium narratives about things, and it's premium certainly in the product, but also premium in the story. So mm-hmm. where does this come from? People care about this. Where does mm-hmm. it come from? How was it raised? Who who raised it? Um, so getting getting those kind of um, yeah, get, there's opportunity created by this this um, diversification in terms yep. of what it means. Um, the, the next one would turn my body, my science, which is a, which um, is a, is an explosion in terms of the um, the kinds of uh, we're talking health benefits. Here, health benefits. Because yeah. um, I mean, red meat, the the, the um, leave aside. Partly, mm-hmm. you'll talk about environmental impacts, but it has been a story that people have been selling about red meat that it has mm. ne- negative impact on human health. Yeah, there's not actually opportunities to turn that around the other way. Yeah, and again, this is uh, I, I I struggle slightly with this one because it's there. There is a 
there's a there's a death of consensus certainly mm-hmm. in science and de- death of consensus about what is good and bad, which I quite like the idea of there being an absolute right and wrong. But, yeah. but just with the explosion in terms of the avenues that people can get information from, they can go on the internet, they can mm-hmm. find out um, anything they want and use it to justify their decisions, yeah. which. Which also, which has risen with the rise of certain kind of paleo and keto diets, but also means that you have anti-vaxxers who say mm. rejecting that. And we see there's some awful consequences of people not vaccinating their children at the moment. But um, but I think it's it's a difficult difficult one to put back in the bottle once it's come out because everyone is making their own decisions. But what that means is that you can try and engage with the people who really value your product. So people who think. There's some really strong health benefits to eating red meat, and especially grass-fed red meat. You can go after those ones, and you can also you, you, you can focus your message on them and not and not try to broadcast mm. to everyone. So we, we we can leave the vegans uh, alone and not try and convince them, and really focus on the segments that, that care about our our products. I was going to say you, you, yeah. you're like the absolute truth of the way that sounded like a marketer's solution to me. But I mean, <laughs> the thing in there is not it's not all red meat. There's grass fed versus grain fed yeah. versus New Zealand. Yeah, and, and the other part that, of this is, is making sure that we get our science straight. Mm. And I think um, we were doing doing this partly with um, MI uh, with the Meat Industry Association and Beef and Lamb for the pasteurised advantage around. Uh, the health benefits of grass-fed New Zealand beef, so mm-hmm. that's already underway. But I think across the board, we need to be better at at, um, at getting the science to back up the claims that we want to make. Yeah. So, on one hand, identifying the segments who want us, but also on the other hand, getting our evidence right. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think I haven't been in the sector that long, but my my general feeling from other people is that that we need to do this, and other 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 sectors are doing this. Um, and might be better at doing this than us. And also, the rise of alternative proteins, they're mm. making health claims. You know, the Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger, they're, they're making big claims about how healthy they are, clean meat, better for you. Yeah. So if we want to head them off, we need to get our science straight. We need to. Um, and obviously, yeah. you, you said you're relatively new to it, but I mean, is there a there there? I mean, there is potentially good news stories for health from, from the week you've done Absolutely, so absolutely. Well, the, the pasture phase, uh, well, Pasture raised advantage. I think you know there are some some good stories there. I mean the the the, the Tamana and the Amiga three um, work that's been done. Mm-hmm. Um, again, th- th- there are some positive positive stories there. Um, so and and also again, people are making their own minds up as well. Mm-hmm. Some people are saying, "Look, I I, I don't want to eat carbs." Because I want to, I want to eat, um, I want to eat high quality red meat mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. I mean, I think I don't, I haven't dug around it in that much. Talking about lowering inflation of your gut, inflammation of your mm-hmm. gut, and and just having some energy benefits and and uh, and certainly weight loss. So, mm-hmm. so I think certainly there is there is some science that we need to do, but also some people are. Making their own mm-hmm. minds up about it and and um, choosing to eat red meat for that very reason. Um, shall we move on to new yeah, authorities of choice? Yeah. yeah. So, so this was an interesting new authorities of choice. What are you talking about? <laughs> so that's essentially that uh, big tech is. I've had some criticism of using the term disintermediating, but it basically means interrupting, <laughs> interrupting the the traditional consumer business relationships where a business advertises to me and I go, oh, I'd like the sound of that, and I mm-hmm. go and purchase it, or I go to the shop and buy it. Um, with all this kind of voice technology that's going to homes mm. like Google Dot, Alexa, um, and Siri on your phone. Um, actually, I heard some 
uh, heard another podcast saying that they're deliberately making voice assistance devices cheaper than cost of production so they can get them into people's homes. Mm-hmm. So they can, yeah, so it does sound slightly sinister, but you know, they, they want it in mm-hmm. Google, uh, Amazon, and um, Apple want these in your homes so that they can then make their money off <laughs> make their money off yeah. search and that sort of yep. thing so it's happening um, so you know we're going to need to design our advertising to with that in mind mm-hmm. so I think with Taste Beer Nature it's probably more of a traditional campaign where we've identified our segment mm-hmm. and said okay these are the people who, and we've designed ads with the assumption that they're, they're going to be clicking on them when they're browsing on Google or we, we've had some TV segments and some print work but in the future, we're probably going to have to design campaigns which, which work with all of the voice mm-hmm. functions and go, okay, so when someone's asking for, for beef in their shopping trolley on Amazon, mm-hmm. how can we make sure that it's, it's grass-fed New Zealand beef? Or if they're asking for a healthy recipe and Google is um, throwing the items in their basket, how can we make sure that the items are grass-fed beef from New Zealand? You know? mm-hmm. So I think there is... It's quite a challenging one, but and it does create a paradigm shift in terms of how um, we advertise, especially on the market development team, and how we how we how we launch our campaigns. But that's going to happen, and it's already happening. Yeah, I mean, so much sounds sometimes a wee bit sinister, but at the same time, you can see things like if somebody has talked about they've got a big game of soccer yep. on Saturday or something on Thursday, mm-hmm. they get a recommendation for. New Zealand red meat, yeah, it's good for energy, etc. So. Yeah. Okay. Authorities of choice. What's the next one? Um, authorities of choice. So um, rediscovering yeah. connections. <laughs> rediscovering connections. So um, people are, you know, rediscovering. Was terms that reevaluating modernity. So this is a lot around the pushback against kind of, especially in the food space, things like factory farming, but. On the one hand, we have quite a high-tech um, disintermediation of uh, relationships and new authorities. Choice re- rediscovery connections is more of a kind of pushback and resistance against modernity. Um, this is the, the sort of thing around. There's been a lot of you know connection to locally grown food, yeah. and, and you you've been part of your food chain, all that sort of stuff that's yeah. been going on ever since. Um, and I can't remember his name. The the, the book. Uh, and I can't remember. That's not, that's not a good bit of research or podcast. It just came. But you know, there's been a lot of that about knowing your food chain, knowing where your food came Absolutely. from. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. I, I know. I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the, the, mm. the guy's name as well. Um, oh, Omnivore's yeah. dilemma. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Omnivore's dilemma. So. Um, yeah. So, uh, and I think it's not necessarily a new one. It's been. It feels like it's been happening for a while. It's kind of tied up with slow food as well. It's one of those big kind of trends. Mm-hmm. Rejection of fast food. Um, and we've been well placed for it, and I think we've probably benefited from things like grass fed uh, without real intentionality mm. behind it. You know, yep. it just became a thing. Just and we was like, oh, thing, we've, got, we've got grass fed beef. That, what else would you do? Mm. So, or beef and lamb. Um, but I think increasingly it's, it's got to be something that people are going to want to pay attention mm-hmm. to. And it's also driven by tech. So, it's probably linked to things like the rise of YouTube and Netflix. So people can see documentaries about anything and everything immediately mm-hmm. and see all the evidence and see there's so much more transparency in the food chain and production chain. So it is tied to tech, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's also... And all the kind of... It's funny, I was looking up... Um, I was looking for something about US beef. 
mm-hmm. just type it into Google, and then all of the things that pop up at the top of the search function are kind of the horrors of the the factory farming yeah. feedlot system, which is unusual. You don't get that for New Zealand red meat, by the way. Um, so that just suggests to me that there's, that's what people are searching if that's what it's throwing up. So, so I think that is pushing people towards more traditional, a desire for more traditional farming mm. practices, which, which is what ours look like. Now, I know that there's a lot of efficiency and tech that mm. underpins and science that underpins our farming systems, um, but that's not what people see when they see the images. Mm. They're, they're kind mm. of, it's a bucolic countryside setting with animals roaming free. It's all free range. It's near the sea. Oh, I want that. Um, so that's, that's the kind of thing that pushes into. I mean, I think also regenerative farming is part of this, and it's not defined yet, um, but I think New Zealand has systems which look and probably embody some of the practices mm-hmm. that people see as, as regenerative farming. I mean, uh, Amazon, f- who have Whole Foods, named that as their number one trend in the US for 2020. Regenerative farming. Regenerative farming mm-hmm. and people searching out regenerative products. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's still being defined. I know there's some controversy and some people don't, uh, don't like the fact that, that there are this dispute over how scientifically based it is, mm-hmm. but I think this is another example of needing to pay attention to what the consumer wants mm-hmm. rather than nitpicking around. Oh, okay, this the science behind it. You know, you can frame your product up in such a way that it, that it um, that it delivers to what they want, and also if you're doing a lot of the practices that are considered regenerative anyway, then there might be an opportunity there. There's quite a. Um, I see you've underlined this in the report. Yeah, <laughs> no, going, through, going through things is making notes as I. Yeah, yeah. I, there's quite a conundrum there for a way in terms of you want you know the consumer being right and what they want yeah. versus now with um, the decentralisation of authority and, and all this you know information available everywhere what mm. they what they've read and what they now believe and therefore mm. what they decide they want may not actually and, and I'm not talking anything specific here about a farming system regenerative agriculture and that yeah, just yeah. thing generally people read something and go that's what I hold to be true and yeah. even though it's not necessarily the case and yeah. do you just tailor to that or do you try and gently convince them otherwise um, that is a, that's you a, know, a red yeah. meat is bad for you and yeah absolutely um, well you certainly you, well I think and and it's tied slightly to my body my science mm-hmm. yes you have to get your science straight and you have to make sure that you're fighting the good fight and mm-hmm. saying right this is um, but then again I don't think there's a lot of benefit in in in, um, in trying to argue with people who mm-hmm. fundamentally disagree with you. So I say, let's part the vegans. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can convince them. Equally, if there's a growing movement around regenerative and regenerative farming, and and people like it, you could uh, you could say you could spend a lot of energy convincing them that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's the wrong type of right way to farm. Or I think there's there might be some upside in terms of saying, okay. Actually, those things that you like, we're doing a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily yeah. say we do all of them, but you know, we're doing these things. And I think also, I mean, it also reminds me a bit of the grass-fed conundrum in terms of us trying to work out: well, are we grass-fed or pasture-raised? All of the all the kind of nuance there. Mm-hmm. Most consumers do not care about all of the technical detail around grass grass-fed. They what they're really saying: grass-fed is shorthand for free range or mm-hmm. outdoor raised or raised in a in an ethically well treated way traditional view traditional it's yeah it's shorthand for additional mm-hmm. food that I think is probably going to be good, mm-hmm. good for me than an animal has that has lived a good life mm-hmm. that's 
they don't want to know all the technical details. Equally around regenerative farming, they're thinking, okay, I don't know, I haven't done research in this, but I'm, I'm, I'm imagining what they're thinking is, oh, similarly, it might be the next up from mm-hmm. grass-fed, or it might be animals that are raised in a, pla- in a way that's good for the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, again, there's probably lots of technical, is it really, or what's what underpins that? But I guess, the, you, where are you going to spend your energy? Yeah, to uh, quote yeah. the Australian philosopher, it's the vibe of the thing. I guess. It's the vibe. It's the feel, but, it's marvelous. Which actually sort of... <laughs> <laughs> All oh, right. Well, we could riff on that for half an hour. <laughs> um, to um, which is probably a good segue into the next one: stewards of trust. Which is right. what it's not necessarily the intimate technical detail, but it's trusting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Because I, I don't think they're going to want to know that their beef has been kept at this ambient temperature mm. along the supply chain for the whole time. Yeah. No, but I think, um, and there is crossover with all these macro trends. But the stewards of trust. Firstly, I think. It's a difficult one to grasp if you're not in if you're not in one of our overseas markets. Mm-hmm. It coming from highly regulated, very safe, um, very transparent New Zealand, where you know you generally go to a supermarket and trust the meat that you're purchasing. It's very hard to go. Why would anyone care about having all this transparency and all this kind of detail that they could access? That seems like a lot of boring admin that I don't care about. Yeah. Versus the low trust market like Vietnam or China, where you the, the officials are you don't you can't trust them mm-hmm. you can't trust food safety certification you can buy that on the black market um, you, you know you uh, there's 1.3 billion in China and you, mm-hmm. you, whereas there's just touching five here the chance of you running into someone else again in the same same way is pretty low so so I think that that's why this is important and I and I I think people get very bored with hearing about it and go, oh, why do we need to do all this ad- yeah. pointless admin? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they get bored hearing about it? Or? Well, I hadn't sort of taken it in that context. It's yeah. interesting to consider yeah. that it's not about a global phenomenon, but it's a, it, it's tied to some of the markets we want to get into. Yeah. The, the ones we see opportunity in are the ones where this may be a big yeah. issue. Yeah, and I would say in the US, people, people <laughs> I think they, tr- they almost trust the... the USDA or the kind of official them what they don't trust mm. they think that fundamentally the farming systems are mm. Mm. are not right yeah. but they I think they probably have more trust in the the officials mm. it's almost they're officiating over a system which is is yeah. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. is is wrong um, so I don't, again I don't think in, in the US it would be particularly exciting or even in in our EU markets mm. there might be a subsection but for me it's in markets where there's low trust mm-hmm. and, and low transparency low they trust in officials. Um, I mean, I think when I, when Kantar were doing, we were talking to us about this trend. I was sort of pushing back and going, "I'm not sure if this is really mm. what we want." He's like, "Look, when the Melamine scandal scandal mm-hmm. happened in um, in China and was kind of huge news in New Zealand and really industry shaking and mm. changing." He was saying, well, that was, well, one of the Kanto guys was saying, well, that was only one of three scandals ongoing in China at the time. Okay. So it actually wasn't necessarily the largest one. Right. So, again, it's hard to kind yeah. of get that context. Because the New Zealand dollar dropped. And yeah, dollar it was dollar. huge yeah. for us. Biggest, our biggest industry, obviously. Mm. But um, So he's saying, there is so much of that stuff mm. ongoing. And even the recent, we're, we're launching Taste Pure Nature in China uh, before Chinese New Year. And... Um, Mike Wan has just gone there and come back and uh, talking about how Chinese consumers shop and they're looking at the packaging, they're poking this product and they're fiddling with it and it's really quite 
Mm-hmm. It's not like a New Zealand shopper grab it, chuck it in the trolley on the way. There's a real mistrust and and sort of fear of of, of you know buying buying something that's been tampered with, buying something that's mm. not safe. Yeah. I mean, is it actually feasible for New Zealand, given mm. our scale mm. and our resources, to actually get around that? Well, I'll, you know, I'll talk about some of the recommendations later on, but I think um, we there's, there's likely to be some kind of blockchain-based uh, traceability mm-hmm. platform that's going to arise. Our view is that we shouldn't be the ones... We shouldn't be trying to invest to be first because mm-hmm. it'll be something that becomes relatively universal, like a VHS versus beta. You don't want to invest in the beta. Yeah. Uh, but it will be important. Um, there might be some initial value, but again, it might be price of entry later on. But there's also some opportunities to both um, both send not just kind of admin, but mm-hmm. tell our story better. So maybe Taste Your Nature has a way of, of sending and transmitting information to the end user, but also there's ways of collecting information as well. So, you know, if people are, um, are using this technology at their end, the end where they're consuming or purchasing, they can scan a QR code, they can give you feedback about the product, they mm-hmm. can, you can have geolocations set up so they can you can see where your product's been consumed to a very kind of precise... So without getting into the technical details of the mm. blockchain stuff, when I was reading the report, it just it basically can have very robust sort of traceability very, very quickly. Yep. So in a matter of seconds, you can find out where that bit yeah, of yeah, meat yeah. on a tray came yeah. from. And again, for our context, context, it's pretty rare to have these big kind of food scares or scandals. Mm. I, I can't even think of an example. Maybe the, the, the needles in the strawberries, mm-hmm. which turned out to be a bit of a red herring in the end, whereas, but in the kind of overseas context, it's... A very real concern, but I, I still think it's partly about safety, but partly about story. So mm-hmm. we can tell our story better through this, yeah. and we, and also generate um, useful insight into who's who's consuming what, where, and what do they think, which um, hopefully doesn't put me out of a job if they <laughs> <laughs> if they thoroughly <laughs> automate that. You'll all be done by an app. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, so rechanneling resources is yep. the the sixth one, um, which is a uh, sounds. Mm-hmm. What's one of those terms? That, yeah, well, that sounds good, but what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Is this so, your job as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, this one is about, uh, and I think it's useful to have New Zealand, again, to think about New Zealand context. We've got a very, we could feed, some people, it varies, we could feed 20 million people, mm-hmm. some say more than that, but we, we have a scarce resource uh, in global terms, so I think we need to find out where we can get the most bang for our buck and where the most value from our, our product comes from. Um, also, I think... Uh, there's, there's changing models. So again, like the B2C consumer relationships being disrupted by tech. This one's being disrupted by tech as well. So there's more direct-to-consumer models, crowd farming where people um, pitch in and, and, uh, and, and, and contribute to a product financially rather than one person doing everything. Um, also, I mean, this is also ties in to um, path, our pathways to market work where we're trying to find ways of getting more value from mm. our product. Uh, so, so I, I think this is this is generally around. Um, I think we're already doing this. Can we get more value if we rethink how it goes to market? And mm-hmm. I th- other examples at the moment are we working with? Um, actually, should I say this? Well, we're in we're in negotiation with uh, a potential distributor in the US, mm-hmm. which would use a very a much more direct to consumer mm. um, 
model. Yep. So, so sort of what you're talking yeah. here has just been much sort of lighter on your feet in a way, and actually putting rather yeah. than sending a container load of stuff to yep. X location, you're sending some here, some there. Yeah. Where where you identify need yes. and demand. And also, can we be cleverer in terms of who we use in market? Who, who there'll be mm. fewer middlemen, and we, we might be able to get more value out of mm-hmm. if, if we can shorten that because it's yep. already happening. Mm. And there's also, I mean, one of the other examples is um, kind of trying to. You know, the, Try, trying to um, uh, remove risk from your supply chain mm-hmm. as well. So one, uh, this ties in with one of the other trends I'll talk about next, but you know, if there's the extreme weather events are more likely, um, can we guarantee supply? I know Zespri have kiwi fruit from Italy mm-hmm. winding up in New Zealand. I was a bit horrified when I saw that the first time. <laughs> you know, doing, importing... Uh, Kiwi fruit from Italy. Um, I mean, Fonterra probably mm. had mixed results with diversifying their yep. location of supply. But I think in, in the future, given the climate change and, um, and, and and volatility in supply, having a bit more of a guarantee of supply might be might be quite sensible. Mm. All of our Tasty Nature product obviously comes from New Zealand at the moment. But I mean, one yeah. of us asked the question is, should is that does that always need to be the case? Yeah, so what Zespri are doing there with the Italian kiwi mm. fruit is stuff that meets their standards, yep. but to ensure a 12-month consistent, exactly. yep. which, yeah, rather than try and grow lamb 12 months a year around, maybe Again, better is... <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, we were slightly confronted when Kantar said to us, well, what about, what should does all your taste nature product need to be from New mm. Zealand? And I was like, well, it's pretty integral with the brand, but, I mean, because we're constrained by resource... I mean, in terms of how much we can grow, we might need to, and yeah. we might need to look at that in the future as well. So, I don't think we put that as a recommendation. <laughs> it might be a little bit of a kind of bit challenging, but again, it's something that yeah, that this thing, yeah, it's an interesting one to think about. You want, about, yeah. you want excellent quality lamb on plates twelve months of the well, year, yeah, and, and also the processes were kind of it did kind of when we talked about this with them, they were saying, oh yeah, actually, it is obviously with the decline in animal numbers, it's mm-hmm. pretty hard to meet. Supply demands. We might need to get cleverer in terms of where we get our where we get our product from. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it just yeah. reminds me because we were talking about Brexit yesterday with Esther. I mean, mm. it's what the story we try to sell to the UK is that we should all collaborate for year-round supply of good quality lamb. So mm. that goes both ways. Well, well the lamb company also uh, don't use uh, sort of solely New Zealand product. Mm. They they'll they mix and match suppliers to where 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 uh, where they can get it. But so. So I think it already ha- is happening, but um, mm. uh, yeah, anyway. Interesting one. Right, last uh, macro trend. <laughs> VUCA. VUCA, so a new acronym. Yes, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Uh, this one's pretty scary, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. It, uh, and, and I gave an example at the beef and lamb cocktail function that to hit uh, 1.5 degrees of warming, we needed to reduce emissions globally, not New Zealand necessarily, but the globe needs to reduce emissions by 7.5% annually. And last year we went up 1.5%. So we are... <laughs> it does feel like we're going to overshoot the 1.5 and, you know, things could get pretty gnarly. Um, but it's also tied to post-truth, fake news, everyone believing their own um, information. It's kind of... Again, death of consensus, lots of polarity uh, in, in terms of political views. There's a lot of trade wars going on mm. at the moment, um, and it, there's a suggestion that those will, given the polarity of everything, are going to increase. Mm-hmm. Um, so the world's going to get a little, a lot more uncertain, volatile, 
So it's designing systems, and it could be your kind of environmental systems, um, your preparation for biosecurity events, which will be exacerbated as the, as the climate increases. Um, there'll be more extreme weather events, so making sure that you've got some think about how to come back if there's if there's supply constraints because of extreme weather events. Um, I guess this one is just you know you know it's important to prepare for the worst mm. and hope for the best, but this is going to be this is really saying the worst is going to happen more mm. frequently. So prepare for it, but also design systems that are resilient that can come back from a disaster. Yeah, and no, when I looked at it, basically, in a, in a way, it's one of the seven, but it's almost embracing all the previous six, and yeah. authority is distributed, yeah. supply chains, news chains, all are much yeah. shorter and yeah. much less regimented than they used to be, and who mm. you trust, and what do you trust, and what do you believe, so... Yeah, this one, this one's a, this one, it, it impacts everything, which is, I've kind of put it last as a sort of tie it together, um, but... I think everyone kind of knows this, but I think people would rather... Well, it's a scary one, so you yeah. don't really if want... If you can't beat it, join or not yeah. join it, but yeah. um, you're going to have to, to live with it. So that's the seven. Yep. Of those, what are... I mean, there were seven priority areas for action, which, um, mm. again, a fair bit of detail. What are the two or three key ones? What are the two key three recommendations, outcomes, well, yeah. most important um, I, I think... Well, so, so in terms of... So do you want to go through the... Um, to what we do now after this, the recommendation areas. So yeah, 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 but maybe pick out the two the, or three key ones. Cause the, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this report. So. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, uh, before we do that, the kind of trends that I think are, mm-hmm. are most um, the ones that we and and actually the ones I've kind of focused on when I've talked about it are around. I, I think the my body, my science is mm-hmm. really important because we've got to get our health story straight and our um, and and also engage with the people who are consuming us for health reasons. Mm-hmm. I think um, uh, what else do I think is important? I mean, I, I think uh, well, it's hard to pick. Well, I think um, and, and I think getting our premium narrative straight. I think we've started doing that with Taste and Nature, but there's lots we have to focus on that mm-hmm. because we have a you know Sam doesn't like Sam McGuire doesn't like to talk about us as a commodity, and I totally appreciate that, and we and we do want to be seen to be adding value but it does feel like we could do that better mm. and it doesn't need to be necessarily change in the kind of operational change but actual messaging and framing which is not as expensive as operational mm-hmm. change and could give us more value um, telling our story better um, yeah I mean the other ones that I think Avuka is the one that ties them all together um, just it's, it's, it's a, it always seems probably a, there's another thing that's more important to do, but that that one does feel like we need to be having that as a lens for how we approach things because it's it, it is happening and on the horizon. I kind of I, I look across the Tasman in Australia and like Jesus, like the forest fires happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of live. That's live VUCA yeah. <laughs> for me. Uh, I don't know. There's not a lot of news. Maybe the, maybe you know different about the impact on the agricultural sector, but. Um, but uh, I would I would assume it's fairly stark. What yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I, this will this will date the podcast, but whether the fires are in heavily agricultural areas, yeah. but the conditions that contribute to the fires have been contributing to some fairly major. Yeah. So, so the two are aligned, not necessarily directly related, but you yeah, know, absolutely. Some of the so, droughts and things that have been happening in yeah, areas are so significant. I, yeah. So we seem, mm. yeah. So I just I wonder if. Yeah, we need to be need to be thinking about that sort of thing, and, and should there is there action now that we could be taking? 
Yeah. So what does this all mean? I mean, you talked in there about you know telling our story, and the, but that story has to be founded on truth and facts, and yep. and, and and it has to be Science, yeah. um, accredited and authorized and, and authentic and all those sorts of things. So yeah, lot in the reports. We're going to put the links in in the blurb of this podcast for people that want to read more. The mm-hmm. twenty-eight page summary, the hundred and thirty-eight, <laughs> hundred and thirty-six page full report. I note the um, future of meat report. We did an alternative proteins with one hundred and forty pages. So we're certainly. Um, Giving you all your money's worth for those money. who like to read. <laughs> but what does it mean, you know, on farm where the this, this story starts, effectively all the story is authenticated? How does this relate to things like the yep. farm assurance program, the environment strategy that came out, which are trying to give a steer to our farmers and yeah. what they need to do to deliver on taste pure nature and the things you're yep. talking about here? Well, yeah, so well, I was gonna I was gonna go through the <laughs> the, the action areas in, in order, but I suppose Tying it back to so uh, NZFAP, mm-hmm. um, I mean I think that underpins taste pure nature mm-hmm. and underpins our kind of um, our, our current branding, which we want to talk about a high quality premium product. So I think there's we want to grow the, the supply of NZFAP products so mm-hmm. that we can supply into that. Um, and I think some of the environmental environment planning and sustainable planning, I think. It's highlighting that there's going to be greater focus on sustainable raising mm-hmm. practices, sustainability in the future. People are going to care more about that. So, I think, in terms of actions on farm, you know, align just making sure that that mm-hmm. it's it's a priority and it's seri- taken seriously because I think uh, over time that'll be both both in terms of social license to operate and also. Mm. Um, the the types of products that people are going to want to buy, and not just the consumers. I think you know the retail gatekeepers don't want heat on them for 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 um, mm. selling unsustainable product. So they'll increasingly put pressure on mm. suppliers to, to to meet those standards. Yeah, because I imagine the worst possible thing that could happen here from a sort of market. Consumer point of view would be if this is effectively considered or made out to be a form of greenwashing that we're mm. telling a story about New Zealand production and to, that we yeah. can't actually back up. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a it's a challenge. I think because when you present Taste Pure Nature and some of the the um, material over in the US, for example, they project some things which are there. Oh, mm-hmm. they're free range, they're eating grass, but they project some things that aren't there. Oh, it's organic, isn't it? And you said, well, it's not. Um, mm. And and it's not necessarily a risk because we're not making those claims, but I think if it goes too far the other way, and they... And also if there's competing product locally, because often we have the tyranny of distance. We're, mm. We are... There is a localism trend that I haven't gone into because it's yeah. not a very helpful one for us, but there's a localism trend around eating local and... And eating local for, for various reasons around lower carbon footprint, but also employing local people, mm-hmm. that's a challenge for us. So we need to be on the front foot everywhere else because we have a product that travels a distance. Uh, so is it, is it and that come back to that omnivore dilemmas book in a way mm-hmm. that local is actually often more a perception or an understanding rather than just a matter of geography and that if you know your food well, even yeah. if you came from New Zealand, it may feel more local than yeah. something that was raised in a feedlot. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and I think you can you can tell you can tell a a really good story and make people feel familiar with mm. your producers and your your country. Um, 
so it doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily need to be next door. But it, that is a tough trend that mm. that is coming out, and certainly in, in the more advanced markets around around wanting to to have more, a preference for things that are produced locally. It's, it's a just it is a fact that's on the horizon. But that's why I, I sort of go got to get our story really mm. good. Got to pe- make people feel familiar with New Zealand. Yeah. Got to. Um, got to have really strong environmental credentials i mean uh, it's funny i was over in london recently and people were saying oh i don't want to buy new zealand land because it's been on a boat and it's been this and that and it's the carbon footprint i was like you can go to them well the carbon footprint actually is lower because of the scale and it's lower to eat new zealand lamb that's been shipped to the uk than than welsh Mm. lamb but uh it's a different, difficult one because of the perceptual mm. thing. You can you can give people all the technical information, and it kind of washes over their head. But they'll make some very simple links. Mm. So, Travel that far, therefore. Yeah. Um, so again, I think you have to hit them with a lot of nice other emotional things mm. to uh, make them feel good about their purchases as well. Yeah. So we've talked, you know, talked about the story, and then you just talked there about the emotional <laughs> yeah. emotions and the feel, and that's really, and, the, and so the on-farm stuff to authenticate that mm. and back it up is really important. Mm. But there are seven priority areas yeah, yeah. for the industry as a whole. I know you want to talk about them. Like, I hate, <laughs> it's like I'm asking you to choose which one of your children's your favourite. So I keep saying oh, tell right. me what's the yeah, most yeah, important. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you want to tell us about the seven <laughs> priority areas? Then? Well, what's well, this is a this is a difficult one. Let me just uh, have a think about it. I mean. Uh, I mean, they all tie directly yeah. the responses to those trends. I mean, I think, yeah, I think similar to VUCA, this, the final trend around collaboration and innovation is just, it, it just it ties them all together. We need to be working together because we're globally, on a global scale, we're small and we need to um, work together better. Already the pathways to market work that uh, my colleague Leanne is working on uh, is focusing on, on getting processes certainly working together, I think, Two days ago, we had 15 CEOs in the room to talk about some some areas that we could that they could collaborate on, which I think is fairly unprecedented. Mm. Uh, so she's walking the walking the talk there to try and get it get us to collaborate. But that we need to work together if we want to um, head off some of the the uh, the threats there. Uh, my f- my favorite ones. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think. Exporting a food culture. Yeah, well, that's, that, I was that's gonna, the first one. That's good, the first one. That's my favourite. <laughs> okay. one, which um, it, it struck me. So we talked about you know healthy food, safe food, mm. authentic way, all that traditional that sort of thing. But um, I think maybe it's the cultural cringe things. You know, New Zealanders mm. don't feel we have a culture, or certainly yeah. not one that we can export to the rest of the world. But well, exporting a food culture. Well, we do, <laughs> and it's uh, and it's and uh, yeah. Again, sometimes this goes down well with people, and sometimes people say, ah. Oh, yeah, you're right. We've got pies and <laughs> pineapple mousse, and I don't really like hungy. Uh, I don't really like the experience of uh, what we got. We can't. We've just got commodity, really good, good quality ingredients. Mm. You know, other cultures have done a lot. You've got I often say, well, France and, and Italy have had a couple of thousand years to work on this. So you know, um, let's not beat ourselves up. But others have done it pretty quickly. So Korea's done it, and pretty quickly. Thai food was mm. virtually unknown uh, up until about 50 or 60 years ago. They made a real strategic concerted effort towards doing it. Scandinavian food, the Nome, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, Noma. Anyway, they, again, they del- very deliberately set about creating a culture around their food. Scandinavian mm. food, <laughs> uh, I've had herring and uh, they eat a lot of uh, like fish roe out of a toothpaste tube. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, some of it is fairly... 
not to my taste, mm. shall I say. But they've really they're really punching above the weight. They have the whole foraging culture, so you mm-hmm. you can do it. And I my view is that we have the fantastic raw ingredients to do that. There's already bodies like Eat New Zealand who are trying to do it. Um, and it doesn't necess- necessarily need to be kind of things that that are uniquely ours. Certainly there's some unique pro- produce here, power and greenlit mussels. Um, I think they're unique in New Zealand. But anyway... Mutton birds. Mutton birds. Yeah. But you can create it, and it can be about context as well. Mm. Like, um, oh, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. talking like Thai food. You go to a Thai takeaway, a Thai... You're not talking about a... A Kiwi restaurant, Kiwi takeaway type thing, or are you talking you uh, the vibe of the thing? The again? vibe of the thing, yeah. You mean so? Can can people have a unique New Zealand eating experience when they visit to tourism? I think tourism is a really important one to get right. Mm-hmm. New Zealand wines done a pretty good job on that, and we've got a kind of Pinot Sauvignon Blanc is uniquely New Zealand, but. Can people have a unique food experience as well? Mm. I certainly want to do it with red meat, but it shouldn't. You're not going to just eat lamb and beef when you're here. We need to work with other sectors, um, create food itineraries for people. There's more opportunities around ecotourism as mm. well. Not ecotourism, but you know, people visiting farms and having on-farm food experiences as well. So I, I just think that we can tell our story better, mm-hmm. and because of so much of it goes overseas and is for people consuming outside New Zealand, making sure that visitors can tell our story better and, and have kind of really high-quality food experiences here is, is a real mm. must for that. Yeah. No, that's a good one. I, when I saw this in the priority areas, I thought yeah. that actually is one of... It seems obvious, never really thought about it, and you sort of defined it there, that we've been in the business of exporting ingredients and mm. components or part of a meal yeah. versus having it as the whole food yeah. culture type thing. Yeah, so. and it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a funny one that you sort of go... But when we were kicking this one around, I was thinking, well, can you, doesn't mm. just, isn't it something that has to happen naturally? And they were like, no. Other countries have very deliberately created this and had a top down Korea, Scandinavia, Thailand had a very top down direction in terms of doing this. And, and it's not necessarily always for the food. Thailand did it for tourism, Korea's done it to sell flat screen TVs and cars to kind of grow their profile. Um, uh, and Scandinavia, I'm not sure why Scandinavia was doing it. Maybe it was there might have been around food, but but also around the wider cultural footprint. Mm. Um, so you can do it if you organise. It's not just something that'll happen organically. Mm. So yeah. But I think yeah, maybe there is opportunity in pies because <laughs> exactly they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, I, I they're very functional and effective. You know, I, people on the move. That's one of the things I missed when I was in the UK. It's like a good pie. I really did binge on them when I got home as well. So, so there uh, you go. They're exactly. Missing. I don't know. Elevating it to kind of a cultural status. But and out of free jimmies to everybody on arrival oh, in New Zealand. Yeah, Mints and cheese jimmies. Mm. Anyway, right. Look, now we're starting. <laughs> we digress. Anyway, so look, is there any other of your children that you want uh, to identify as one of your favourite before so we wrap up? I think. I mean, some of them I think we just know that we should do and we need to do to maximise the co-products of being really kind of strategic about how we do this scanning the horizon. It's something that kind of ties to the last one about collaboration and innovation because the kind of cost of entry is so high. You need a lot of capital and there's science that needs to be done. Um, it, 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 needs, it needs that collaborative approach to do that. But I think it's just a kind of reminder that, that, that we should be doing that. Um, I mean, I talked a little bit about reframing sustainability at the start in mm-hmm. terms of why we need to do that, take take charge of that more. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's still going to be listening by this stage <laughs> in the podcast, but yeah. I, but one of the uh, anecdotes that I 
that I had at the um, the Red Meat Sector conference was uh, one of the mums who my daughter plays football. One of the mums whose daughter my daughter plays football with works at Onslow College in um, in Wellington and was saying that she teaches English and she also teaches debating and she has year 12 and year 13 kids uh, who are um, debating and one of the topics was that she pointed this out to me as I was with people and they were saying oh they're debating the merits of vegetarianism so mm-hmm. some are pro-vegetarianism and some are anti but the pro side is winning mm-hmm. the kids who are debating for going vegetarian are winning and it's like really? Okay, it's like, wow, do they know about, you know, the importance of animals as part of any farming system mm. and for, for soil health? Um, no, I'm not saying it's, I'm not going to talk too, too much about regenerative systems, but if you want to move towards mm-hmm. that, you need to have animals as part of an input. Monocropping um, um, plants and, and using a lot of other inputs to do that is not, is not a healthy farming system. So actually, do your kids know this? Mm-hmm. And I might have sounded like I was ranting a bit. I, Maybe I was, but, uh, but this is on the way back to the car after the football game. But then my wife told me a couple of weeks later, she was saying, talking to um, this teacher, and she said, ah, oh, she was this thing. She's directed her year 12 and 13 kids to some of the resources that you mentioned and did dig a little bit more deeply about that. Mm-hmm. And they've started winning the debates yeah. and the series of, of classes she's had. So I was like, right, okay. This felt like evidence of the importance of reframing of our, how we talk of sustainability mm-hmm. and uh, and I think and that one personally to me I was like I, I think we can we can tell that we can tell it better certainly there's work to do but we can tell it better um, yeah so uh, other ones I think yeah I think I've, I feel like the, the trend areas lend naturally into, into mm. some of the recommendation areas so I think I probably touched on most of the elements there um, as part of talking about some of the trends but yeah those ones for me stand out and, and feel quite important awesome now look it has been a longer podcast than average although we do tend to go quite long on these because our point is to try and go into a, a topic in depth yeah and cover all rather than just you know five or ten minute soundbite because we have farmers on tractors who've got to fill in three hours mm. or people driving yep. to a field day or, or rural yep. professionals driving so um mm. and and this isn't one you can do lightly like i said you know the report is that length for a reason because yep. there's a lot of stuff I and mean, we're talking several billion dollars or many billions of dollars in the industry so you want to do it yeah, and it feels like I probably I don't know if you could end on this, but but I think it's it's worth saying there's action already underway <clears> in in several of these areas as a consequence of this. So it's not something that we've filed away, but we've already engaged with Eat New Zealand around this uh, food culture um, and and working with them. I think we're working with uh, Inc as well because mm-hmm. they have more of a domestic focus and we Beef and Lamb New Zealand Inc. Yeah, 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 yeah Beef and Lamb New Zealand domestic Inc. marketing group. Yep, yeah, uh, so. So they're working with Eat New Zealand. We've, we've had a meeting there to talk about how we can um, get th- get this moving because they've got an itinerary for visitors visiting. How can we make sure that she can be farms part of this travel itinerary? Or um, their, their ink has got... I can't remember the exact terminology. Um, their restaurants that do beef and lamb particularly well. Maybe yeah, this one. Yeah, they're ambassador chefs. So. Yes, yep. yes. Yep. Um, make sure that that... That that's part of the itinerary for visitors mm-hmm. to New Zealand, so people can um, can uh, visit those. So that's already happening. There's already, as I said, pathways to market work. We've, we've already used this to kick off some of the debates around co-products, around what we're doing in the health space, and um, what we're doing in terms of sustainability space. Mm-hmm. So there's already stuff happening. Stuff yeah, uh, that that's been driven by this um, 
in some of the some of the recommendations, which is great, you know. Because because I, you know, I started off and I talked about some of the reports that have been done, how this links with Taste Pure Nature, yeah, uh, the future meat ones. I've been around here a wee while. We've had a history in the red meat sector, in particular, of doing. A lot of reports that people get a bit cynical about because they've been quite navel-gazing. There were a lot, and this is not those ones, but mm. previously we're talking about uh, yep. wallboard and meatboard structures and way forward for the industry, which tended to not get too much interest. The great thing about a number of these, the red meat sector strategy that led to the RMPP project, mm-hmm. Future Meat, mm-hmm. these things are actually having some real and oh, concrete good. change on ground. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people are seeing that. But look, it has been longer than we expected, <laughs> but if you're still listening, just to prove to Hugh that people do listen to these, get in touch. We've got one or two... Uh, rare books on the shelf that we may be able to send out as a prize to the first couple of people that get in touch but I I know people listen all the way through oh brilliant okay good yeah and right. I'd love to love to hear some feedback even if it's uh, a critique or a kind of digging around a bit more or further questioning I'd love to because uh, yeah capture it and, and I guess there's stuff that wound up on the cutting room floor that you know we've, we don't we couldn't make it 300 pages so there's other stuff that is probably of interest or relevant that, that I'm very happy to talk about if anyone wants to get in contact. Good as gold. So look, in the description of this podcast, we will put a link to the page on our website that has an outline and news article on this. It has a link to the summary report. And for the really keen ones, 136 page, the full report is there as well. But it also has your contact details on there, I think, Hugh. Yep. So you can hear for people that have listened all the way through or that just read the blurb and go straight to the chase, you can get in touch with Hugh and give him some feedback or ask some questions. But... On that note, look, Hugh Good, Global Market Intelligence and Research Manager for Beef and Land New Zealand, thank you very much for your time. I think it went a wee bit longer than you thought, but <laughs> hopefully it didn't feel like that because there was some really interesting stuff in there and I've enjoyed Cheers. your time. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much.